The year is 1988. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club going through the best Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and I'm joined today by Dave, founder and CEO of Comic Book Herald. And uh, and I found out Dave, he's going through my old clothes. And not only that, he's wearing my old clothes, my black t-shirt. He's wearing that. He's threatening my wife. He's tying me to bells. Glad to have him <laughs> on the, the show today. Also, I want to introduce, we have a special guest today. Uh, we've got Brad from the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Hey, Brad. So uh, can we tell people a little bit about your podcast? Uh, yes. So I co-host the Comic Book Couples Counseling with my wife, Lisa. Every month we select a comic book couple a la Scott Summers and Jean Grey or uh, Peter Parker and Mary Jane, and we dissect their relationship and if they're properly compatible or not using a self-help guide. Uh, we pick cheesy stuff like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Uh, we've even used uh, the rapper Commons memoir. Uh, to dissect Abigail Arcane and Swamp Thing's relationship. And we do that every month. And uh, honestly, it's uh, like my favorite thing in the world. And it allows us to sort of look inward and evaluate our own relationship. Like, how would we behave in these fantastical circumstances? And uh, yeah, I like it's we've been doing it for two years. And uh, it's like my pride and joy. I've been a part of many podcasts, but Comic Book Couples Counseling is without a doubt like the closest to my heart. And uh, so far, Lisa and I are staying together. Uh, I think it's working well for us. I, 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 I don't see it ending anytime soon. Uh, but we have not covered some yeah. of my favorite couples yet. So Sue and Reed, I hope Lisa sees them the way that I see them, because it could be problematic if uh, she doesn't align with my love for those two. Perfect. So we lost Brad for a little bit. There's some technical difficulties on his end. So Well, you the, say uh, the... lost Brad. I mean, we saw a Taskmaster bust into his office, take him, then throw his computer on the ground. But he threw it just like ex-Mets pitcher, a.k.a. Boomerang. I don't know if you mm-hmm. caught that. Like, he, it was clearly an imitated no. move. Um, but I'm a little worried. Brad has been taken by Taskmaster. We'll see if he can return I, to this I, episode. I think he, he was talking about how he wants to... Uh, to, to be able to like more empathize uh, fully with his partner, his uh, his romantic yeah. partner. Yeah. And Brad, as part of comic book couple counseling, you know, he he's got that inside track. So Taskmasters, they are trying to, uh, you know, learn learn how to be a a good and loving partner. Doesn't it seem like Taskmaster could be the absolute best partner you could ever oh. want? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like that can get salacious, and obviously, like there's some advantages there. But even but just, just, even just literally in terms time. of listening, in terms of emotional responsiveness. Oh, I, was, I thought you were just like he just opens up a couple websites, spends some. Your time voice cracks saying websites, and websites? we know why. We all know why <laughs> those websites. Are looking what, at. what a funny affectation for like when you get horny, your voice cracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really love. 
I like, love it. Like that's how everyone knows you're lying and clearly have an <laughs> incognito screen open. <laughs> Just looking at some websites, guys. Um, okay, so yeah, we're the the next couple Spider-Man issues uh, he's not going to be here for because we had to re- re-record this later. But uh, all of a sudden, Brad will just magically reappear, everybody. So, yeah, which is a shame because uh, those those Spider-Man takes were fire. But Zach and I are going to do our best to uh, replicate what was mm-hmm. lost. All right, so three hundred big, beautiful, iconic cover. Yes, indeed. And uh, Todd McFarlane showing up on Spider-Man after some time on the Hulk. We've seen him on the Hulk. He's great on the Hulk. Um, but uh, I think this is what people remember him for. And for good reason that like that athleticism and the flexibility of mm-hmm. Spider-Man that he draws is just like unparalleled. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> Ditko is the only other person I remember who like just has this real like energy to the way Spider-Man move. But it's not like this, like, McFarlane just he seems to be like capturing those like interesting in between poses you know that a gymnast would be doing like at the the arc of their swing or something right like but a gymnast with spider power specifically because there is that there is that unnatural balance of how high the leg can kick right and the way Mm -hmm. his arms are are bending and flinging around these spaghetti webs yeah it's fantastic I mean McFarlane's Spider-Man is a defining moment in Marvel Comics, and, and more specifically, it's a defining moment for Spider-Man as a character, um, which is kind of fascinating to me because it's like, it, oftentimes we think of stories being defining moments, you know, like like he goes through a change, you know, he gets married to MJ in that amazing Spider-Man annual we read, right? That's a story change. But this mm-hmm. like visual shift comes to define a style of comics, uh, a, a style that we're going to move into, obviously, with the 90s and then the image boom, um, but also just for Spider-Man. Like, because McFarlane's predecessor, or uh, or who's going to follow him, um, Eric Larson, you know, he's kind of a similar, like, bent in terms of art, right? Like, this becomes the way you show off your artistic skill set on Spider-Man, um, and McFarlane comes to define it. And, and fortunately for him, too, he's working with David McElhinney, a fantastic storyteller, in his own right, uh, and and yes, I'm pronouncing that now Michelinie because I think that's how yeah. I heard. I think that's how I heard Danny Fingeroth say it in the interview we did with him. I'm not 100 percent on that though, so I could have paused. I could have either gone from the wrong pronunciation to the right. I could have gone from right to wrong, or I could have gone double wrongs, which would be probably the worst and most likely combination that I just pulled off. This here. is this is something you're missing with that uh, that lost audio from the first time we talked about it. Is Dave saying Michelinie and me being like? You know, hit the brakes. What are you saying? Me calling him out for I'm that. Trying to, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to literally recapture the memory and magic well, this time, of the conversation we had weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. in exactly the same way. Yeah, but except, with none of this the time, same I'm like, I realized I, I made a real fool of myself calling you out for that. So I just decided to. Just, yeah, yeah. You, know. you can't. You can't play it cool the second go around and pretend you're smarter and cooler <laughs> than you were the first. Yeah, time. I've always known it was Michael. <laughs> Yo, you just found that out. Interesting. Yeah, no. you fool. Sorry, I. I've known that for weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's they're a great pairing, and I think it, yep. one thing we've talked about a lot in in the MMY club is like you've you're definitely your Spider Man relationship is similar to my X Men relationship. I think where mm-hmm. you're like I am very comfortable and generally happy with like middle of the road Spider Man. Even like that is a more satisfying experience. Whereas I feel like, with the exception of Craven's Last Hunt and a few other, you know, a handful of other things, like I'm consistently fairly disappointed actually that my favorite character peter parker spider-man is not in a better book is not in a better series you know there aren't moments that are as 
interesting to me. Um, the Michelinie and McFarlane era does begin to shift that a little bit. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's quite good. It is well worth checking out if you're a Spidey fan. Um, and again, if nothing else, if nothing else, you're going to want to flip through and look at the art because it's it's you know we talked about it on on Hulk a fair amount, but like McFarlane is doing pretty important <laughs> essential design things that mm-hmm. will move the medium uh, forward in some ways very positive and then in some ways it'll obviously get uh, you know overexploited Messy. like like many other things right yep. um but yeah so this issue specifically is the 300 uh, milestone issue and one thing that definitely stands out here in terms of content is we really because maybe maybe partially it's because we haven't been reading it as thoroughly but we really lean into Peter and MJ as a couple in these mm-hmm. issues, um, and and we also lean into like them uh, being married and in love, and also like wanting to spend time with each other, um, and that's a very good thing. I do actually like this shift. There's a you um, mean w- wanting to spend time with each other? Uh, oh, you your, voice, your, your voice should your voice should have broken <laughs> to, to indicate what you meant by that. Uh, yes, you're right. No, it's it's a, a very horny, horny couple. Yeah. It's a very horny comic, right? Um, it is. And like MJ, at one point, she takes people, they go apartment shopping, and she literally, uh, like, like drops, I want to say drops trowel, which is the least, <laughs> the least like, sexy no, she way takes, that she you could define a model off. stripping for her drops husband. Trowel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. MJ in a big empty apartment just drops trowel and just takes a big dump right on the middle of the floor. It's and for it's Pete's just... private photo collection, and it's yeah, real hot. For... It's real hot. Yeah, and uh, no, but like the fact that Peter Parker has a private photo collection of his uh, model wife just for him is like, that's a that's a pretty horny moment in, in Spider-Man mm-hmm. comics. Absolutely. But I do actually like that that we get to see Peter and MJ have that together. Um, sure. Because yeah. you don't, you know, and again, it's a progression from a character who too often is is stuck and, and can sit in kind of status quo type stuff. Um, so that those elements I do enjoy. I think one thing, and we'll continue to talk about this, is like, does MJ get the full like agency and and control and self assertiveness as a character that I think a lot of fans have come to really like from her? Um, I don't know. I don't know that it's all the way there yet, not but there's there's potential. White, but yeah. yeah, it's it's not it's not egregious, but not not quite. A, a little bit more in the the issues we're gonna talk about later with um you know when she gets kidnapped. Honestly, uh, she gets yes. a little bit more to do, and she's a little bit less of like just the victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here she is just terrorized by Venom showing up. She so certainly opens first... as a victim because she is yeah, absolutely terrorized. And like you just said, yeah, this is the Venom issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is Venom's yeah. debut in the Marvel Universe, and that is a super big deal. Zach, was this your... No, it wasn't. I was going to say, was this your first Venom comic? But I know you've been reading the modern stuff. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and also, like, I just know Venom from... Right. How could you not? If... Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've read the modern stuff. I've read, you know, Spider-Man from the, the 90s and 2000s here and there. What did you make like... of his debut here? Because it, it does come across, I think, a little differently than perhaps modern conception and just that cultural osmosis view of Venom would give you. Like, there, there are some I, I don't think it's... It's not that far off, I think. It's it's a little... Um, I, I guess the thing that surprised me is because... I think of Venom as kind of like the anti-hero, right? Not a straight-up villain, mm. just based on you know later appearances. But no, he he's pretty bad here. Uh, he does he does murder a child police in a cathedral. <laughs> I forgot this, about the boy police. The, the bo- That's boy right. cop, yeah. <laughs> halt, boy cop here, and then uh, he just <laughs> freeze, murders mister. boy cop. Pulls out a water yeah. pistol. Yeah, no, <laughs> Venom does he does straight up uh, kill that boy cop though, which is a little rough. Um, have you watched the Queen's Gambit yet? 
We're mm-hmm. watching. Nope. We're watching the Queen's Gambit now. Um, to, to give you. Oh, is there a boy cop? There, there is a boy chess player. Uh, and there are prodigies, but this one's supposed to be an adult, and he is such a little boy. Uh, but anyway, that <laughs> just made me think of that. Uh, yeah, so Venom is a straight-up villain here, right? And he becomes—it does the thing of taking the hero and making, okay, who's his arch-nemesis going to be? Well, it's going to be the bigger and badder version of the hero, right? You get that with, like, Iron Monger and Iron Man. You get that with Abomination, with Hulk. You get it with all sorts of characters. And Venom— Kind of does that with Spider-Man, but he's enough of his own thing, and there's enough, like, personality and, and cartoonishness mm-hmm. to his grin and his maniacal smile, and just that design, obviously. Which yeah, has, the like, design carries a lot of that weight. I mean, the design alone, and it, obviously it's like Proto-Spawn, which is what Tom McFarlane is going to go on to be known for in the 90s, um, but just that all-black costume, the white spider symbol, the long tongue, like, basically it just says, hey, Spider-Man, Steve Ditko design, the coolest, right? I love mm-hmm. that costume. It's the coolest. What if we made that 80s alien and bigger and muscly? And it's like, it's worth millions because I, it's still yeah. selling whatever it is put on, um, movies, comics, whatever, right? So the design alone goes a long way. But Venom as a character is interesting enough that it's like, by the end of 300, I'm like, oh, like, that wasn't just a one-off big weird you know guy who inherited his symbiote clearly although he is only here for one issue it is kind of surprising he made such an impact with Mm. one issue and it doesn't like feel like haha venom will be back soon it's kind of like oh wow okay who was that guy interesting and then we move on the yeah that design carries so much of it the um one interesting thing is his teeth are normal human teeth here i think does not have like maybe it's just like a very simple fangs i'm not sure but he does not have that like you know, huge six inch long fangs yeah. that we, we come to associate with him yet. I think that comes later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, uh, the character of Eddie Brock is interesting. Although I, I do find his motivation for hating Peter Parker pretty flimsy. Yeah. Let's like, talk it, about it, that a little. Yeah. That, that, that's a bummer to me because it's like, he's, he's a journalist, right? And he's very like, you know, journalism is this noble art, right? It's this calling, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. He's like very into, you know, the, the, the trappings of being this noble journalist and he's a good journalist. He's good at his job, except for the fact that he interviewed someone who is the sin eater back during the sin eater saga claim claim to be killer. the sin eater. Right, exactly. And then Peter Parker busted the real sin eater. Turns out the person that he had like interviewed and published as the sin eater was not. And he gets humiliated because he, you know, published an unverified person and he did not like do his due, due diligence. And he's like turning that on Peter Parker and it's, I don't know, that, that's a little unsatisfying because it's just, I, I, it doesn't do enough to make it, like, seem like he's, you know, just totally shifting blame to somebody else that he's just, like, it. it it's not an interest, I, I think it would just be more interesting if Peter Parker had actually, like, screwed up this guy's life in a more direct way. Right. This is just kind of, Well, like, and that, that's the shift that a lot of media has made. I mean, even Spider-Man 3, which I quite dislike, the Topher yeah. Grace version of Venom, it's a lot more direct relationship between the two um obviously like if you join and check us out on my ultimate year where we're reading through the entire ultimate universe in the same style um that relationship is obviously a ton closer in the Mm -hmm. ultimate universe right between peter and eddie so i I think creators beyond this point would kind of agree with you and certainly in how they present it um i do like i do actually kind of like the distance between them just because it is different than those other versions and i i mean with eddie's thing too like my initial read on it was like oh he got duped by this like criminal like this or whatever like this person in jail whatever they did um 
why would he lose his job over that necessarily? But the one piece you do miss there is like he is kind of leading on, like he's pushing. Eddie himself is also like pushing to try to make a name for himself. So in doing that, he's like kind of insisting that this guy be the sin eater, whether he quite realizes it or not. So he's not like totally guilt free in terms okay, of here, presenting here's, a false I, narrative. I just came up with a better a better motivation for him to hate Spider-Man. Uh-huh. He's a journalist. He's interested in good, hard-hitting, adult, you know, like written for adult journalism, none of this tabloid crap, and he's tired of the only thing that sells is Spider-Man stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. JJJ and stuff. That Spider-Man has completely taken over the uh, the media and the, the newspapers, mm-hmm. and he's just like, and he loses his job because he refuses to just write about what he thinks is, you know, like today's, like, uh, gossip tabloid type okay. stuff. There you go. I think that like that would give him reason more... to hate Spider-Man, right. right? And he's just yeah more mad at Spider-Man because of that, and then that gets fueled by Venom. All right, David Michelini, you owe me money now. Write him a note, and I expect that retraction and republication see, of. See on Twitter, Spider-Man I'm going to tweet him right now with the My Marvelous Year account. So. Yes, please, please do. All right, so David, I, expect I, a I note did from hear, us. I did hear that creators do love when that happens. So. Oh, creator, they there are two things creators love. One, being told how their story would be better and From to retract their version and print yours. Mm-hmm. And then yep. two, they love when you just give them ideas. <laughs> they, <laughs> they just love when you're just like, hey, here'd be a cool idea. They can always use those. It's definitely not a legal problem for them mm-hmm. to see yep. your ideas, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, no, that's all very bad. Um, So, okay. So that is Amazing Spider-Man number 300 in a nutshell. Uh, obviously, like, I, I think one thing we talked about initially and in, in maybe like, you know, we'll keep talking about this as we go, is Venom is a bit more cartoonish than the 90s mm-hmm. version, um, intentionally so. Like, McFarlane's design is is not uh, uh, creepy or scary in the, um, like you mentioned, like in the fangs and the dripping tongue and the saliva everywhere kind of way. It's not, it's not like Alien from Venom. Alien, right? Like, it's not that. No. He has like a, he's a home invader creepy. Right? Yes, like, right. He's a like, man. He's smiling like while large, he does awful things. Creep. Yeah, a large man hiding in the corner of your room, mm-hmm. which is good. Like I think it's really effective. He's that that silliness almost works to make him like even creepier. Yeah, which I wonder how intentional it was. Um, so yeah, yeah, the debut of Venom. It's a very good comic. Amazing Spider Number Three Hundred is definitely. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the best Spider Man comics of the eighties. Um, it's No Craven's Last Hunt for me, which which for me is... So I'm actually... I'm going through the process right now, Zach, because we're going to do a, an 80s recap special, and I'm ranking all of the stories that we've read in the 1980s, um, or all oh, of my favorite what's, ones. What's and wrong with you? I was... <laughs> I know. What's wrong with you and your brain? <laughs> and I was surprised that uh, Craven's Last Hunt is, is going to go extremely high. Like, we're mm-hmm. talking... I, basically, I'm looking at, like, okay, Frank Miller's Daredevil... I've got various story arcs there that are fairly unimpeachable, but like Craven's Last Hunt, a little spoiler mm-hmm. here, I've probably got that ahead. I'm, I'm debating putting that ahead, stuff like Dark Phoenix Saga, um, Days of Future Past, and uh, was that in the 80s? even Born Again. Yeah. Was that stuff in the 80s? I thought that oh, was yeah. late 70s. Oh, no, okay. no, that's all 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, Craven's Last Hunt would be top three for me. I, too. I mean, it's it's super high on my list. Um, yeah, we're, that's not what we're reading. We are going to read next Amazing Spider-Man number 301. Yep. This is... Not the introduction of Silver Sable, but I think the first Silver Sable comic we have read in the club. Um, and, and, and a good introduction to her as like a character, that the, the modern iteration that matters. I've read some yeah. earlier Silver Sable, and she, she's fine. But like this really kind of sets the table for her to be here later. And uh, oh boy, I can't wait for that S- Silver Sable only Sony show that they have planned. They just, 
Isn't that baffling? That I mean, Silver like, Sable. Yeah, we'll so, so here's what. It, let's talk about that in a second. Because Silver Sable, yeah. what you need to know about her is uh, probably like three things. I'm gonna say one. Okay. She's got a wild pack. Okay, Silver mm-hmm. Sable's always got a wild pack. <laughs> These are her like commandos. You know, she's a merc. That, that that's who she runs with. Two, she's associated with the nation of Simcaria, which is, to my knowledge. Marvel Universe specific and not a real place you can visit. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Any Simkarians out there? And uh, number three, <laughs> number three, she's tough and cool. Those are the yeah. Silver Sable. Uh, oh, you didn't mention that she hunts Nazis. It's uh, kind of the big. She thing does. About her. That is mostly what she does in this issue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's is kind great. of her thing. Yeah. She's a Nazi hunter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that rules. Um. No, but I mean, it's kind of like anything. Like a silver. I mean, so Silver Sable has gotten. Like, she gets a solo series in the 90s when everyone gets a solo series. And uh, she was a feature in the Spider-Man PS4 DLC, um, you know, which isn't as good as as the main content, obviously. But, like, you know, she she can hold her own on that front. Giving her her own show, it's kind of like anything. Like, that could be good. Like, if it's if it's Silver Sable Nazi Hunter, you know, on, on whatever that's going to be uh, on Disney Plus or, or I guess it's Sony. So wherever the heck they're going to host that. Like, yeah. That, there's a version of that show that could be good, you know. Oh, but... sure. It's just it's just an odd like. Here's our superhero lineup. It's a woman with no powers who hunts Nazis in modern day Manhattan. I, guess. I mean, she's not that different than like a Deathstroke on the or DC Punisher. side. Um, I, I sure, she's, yeah, she's pretty close to a, a Punisher who's you know a slightly slightly more noble calling. I mean, honestly, yeah. I think Silver Sable is more interesting than Punisher because Silver Sable has a yeah. nation and a people. And she has a purpose in a yeah, way. I haven't that read. Frank I haven't Castle read enough not. to to really dive in. But yeah, w- what's here is cool. I like how she bounces off of Spider Man. Hang on, I think of... you're blowing past Silver Sable's better than Punisher, and I just want you to verify oh, whether I haven't agree. read enough to say that. But mm, coward, I don't. The I don't, coward's way out. I don't know. I I don't. Uh, I don't reflexively disagree with that. That doesn't say. I I've literally read like two issues of Silver Sable. So I'm not coward, gonna... I call thee coward. <laughs> okay. Just gonna, just fine, gonna pause that. Fine there. by me. <laughs> I'm okay right. being called a coward. Um, okay, so yeah, this is this is amazing. Three hundred one. Um, it, it's kind of it is that thing with Punisher or or any character like this where Spider Man is like clearly out of his element, you know, mm-hmm. in ways. But then at the same time, like he actually does operate a lot of times with people on the ground who you know are interested in murdering the bad guys, uh, even though that's not Spider Man's way. Um, it's not as good as three hundred, right? But it's you know it's like. It's an effective issue, and I think that's yep. that's the thing you're going to find in this run is even the stuff that maybe doesn't seem as memorable is generally pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is everything I've read from this run is like very solid so far. So, yeah, enjoying it. Hey, Brad, what do you have to say about this? I have no, I, I have no idea if that truth is going to work. I don't know where uh, he darn. jumps in, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I'll I'll do it again, and then we'll see. Hey, Brad, what do you think about this? And then it's just going to cut to me talking. Oh, I can't stop. See you next year. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So issues 307 to 309 of Amazing, like we said, they start off with this chameleon, you know, shows up. But really, this is like a story of a very wealthy, very entitled stalker of MJ's. His name is Jonathan Caesar. And he literally, so he has a shrine to MJ, uh, a la Hey Arnold. I always think of Hey Arnold when I think of shrines. And he, um, he has like pictures of her and all her modeling career. And he kidnaps her. And uh, these three issues are Spider-Man trying to find his wife. And uh, in the process, he yeah, he runs into the chameleon. He stops him in 307 and 308. He bumps into Taskmaster, which is a good showing for Taskmaster. I always enjoy a good, uh, like, kind of a rogue 
Taskmaster Warehouse where he's like training assassins, you know, to to do their thing. Um, and then in 309, he fights a couple uh, couple no names called Sticks and Stone. And uh, and MJ comes busting out finally, escaping her kidnapping. Can we talk about Taskmaster though? Sure. What about him? He's cool. I love him. I love yeah, he's great. Guy. Yeah. I don't know. I have like I, I think this is only the second Taskmaster appearance we've seen. Maybe the third. But like I think we I've haven't decided, read a ton. Yeah. Lo- we did some Avengers. I love this guy. I'm like really affectionate towards Taskmaster, and I think a lot of it has to do with his affectation, which is like. He, he sounds like a New Jersey scumbum. Yeah, Right? Yeah. And he doesn't look like that. He kind of looks like he would be, you know, this kind of, like, sinister, like, noble villain ty- archetype, right? Yeah. But instead, instead he's just, like, very Jersey Shore. And uh, and I adore that about I've never him. read him like, as Jersey him Shore, a... but I dig that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm reading that in. That's just my own, like, interpretation. Yeah. But, you know, like, he definitely has this kind of just, like... Eh, get out of here. What are you doing here? Like, I know, I already know your abilities. Like, yeah, that kind of, I don't know. I, I, I just, I love this guy. Um, Honestly, yeah. like he feels like, I don't know if I would have said uh, Jersey Shore. Like, I, like it, it definitely, like I, that works for me. It's he, he's got a New York attitude in a lot of ways as well. And it reminds me of like when you would watch an old Roger Corman, uh, Vincent Price movie, and then like Dick Miller would wander into the set and he'd be speaking with his New York accent. Yeah. He feels out of place, except visually the way McFarlane draws him in this issue. I mean, it might be my favorite rendition of Taskmaster. He is so delightfully gothic. Yeah, yeah, and very creepy. gothic, yeah, for so, sure. Uh, yeah, right. Like, he d- he does have that, you know, like, yeah, gangster. Maybe he's got that gangster accent or uh, wh- whatever it is. He definitely just seems a little scummy, right? He's got a little bit of that scumbum to him. And I just like that. I but he really d- like but that. he doesn't I, lean I, into I only... trying to be scary, which I appreciate. You know, it's like he's wearing a monster mask, but he's talking like Ben Grimm. Um, and it's right. Yeah, it's yes, good. Exactly. It's good. And, he, and he's training really villains. And, and, he, be... and he's always it's nothing personal with him. Right. It's just like, yeah, I'll I got a so job. Disappointed if the the black the uh, the black widow movie doesn't like have a little hint of that. Like right? if, if he's he super serious the, in that, like, that's going to be a bummer. The, you the know? stone, the stone cold super soldier. Right. Yeah. I mean, like removing the the skull mask uh, alone is such a yeah. disappointment because it's so bizarre in the comics. I would love to have seen that interpreted some way. Yeah, but won't we all be excited when he uh, picks up a skull at one point, looks at it, and thinks, "Nah," and tosses it aside, which is superhero <laughs> oh movies and TV shows love to do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh nah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's just a like an aside. You know, Peter's kind of on a wild goose chase here. Um, and, uh, and MJ gets, yeah, MJ gets kidnapped by this creepy guy who's just obsessed with her. Giant like, creep. Like a can't, can't overemphasize yeah. how creepy this guy is. Yeah. And, um, I, I do, I do appreciate this is like one of those things like, uh, you know, like Indiana Jones and the, what's the first one called? The, uh, Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark, Ark, where it's like Indiana Jones didn't need to be there for like the Nazis still to have lost, right? Like they yeah. still would have just opened the, the Ark of the Covenant, put it over. Like Spider-Man didn't actually do anything here. He was just outside fighting and MJ freed herself and then saved him. Uh, from I love that. Which is, no, it's like when great. she it's a comes great, like, out twist. and she's got the gun and she's gone full dirty Harry, <laughs> and and she's the hero in that moment. I, I, I it was very surprising, and uh, it's nice to it's nice to see Spider Man get rescued yes, by his yeah, lady. Yeah, it, it's agree. a nice twist on what you know. I kind of was thinking was just like, oh, you know, MJ's a 
damsel in distress and she'll have to be rescued by your husband, which, you know, like, I don't think is necessarily bad, but it is nice to see, um, you know, her have well, some agency. And it's an important thing there. with MJ. And, and she gets out right? in a very clever way, right? Like she gets yeah. out. And that's how we think um, of MJ, right? Like she is a self-sufficient individual. She is not just like doting on Peter all the time, you know? So it is good to see her have that agency and that, that ability to, again, like you said, like, essentially free herself despite obviously peter's best efforts um so okay so yeah that's that kicks off this this really interesting era of amazing spider-man i think if you're a spidey fan definitely dig into this one um it's interesting and it's definitely some of the best stuff we've seen on spider-man uh in the 80s and and for some time so we'll continue with that as we move into 1989 but right now we're going to jump to a series debut this is Punisher War Journal, issues one and two. And these issues are most interesting to me. And again, I've said this on the podcast before. I'm not a huge Punisher fan. Um, I'm definitely, I just, the more Punisher comics I read, the more I'm aware that Frank Castle is just kind of not my guy. Um, these aren't the sure. Marvel comics that I gravitate towards. These issues I find very interesting because they are like some of the earliest, if not the earliest, Jim Lee uh, drawn, I guess finished in this instance, uh, comics. And Jim Lee, of course, much like Todd McFarlane, Image co-founder, going to go on to do enormous things, both with Marvel and then, of course, elsewhere in the comic book world. So, like, again, on the creative talent front, and we got Carl Potts doing a lot of the story here. It's interesting to watch um, these, these you know, talents progress on a series that is, to me, just, like, very stock standard like what do you what do you think a punisher story might be like without any like flair or you know like without anything super marvel universe about it you know it's not like there's super villains or crazy things happening like it's just oh this is a punisher story uh there's there's bad guys and i one thing i will say i really like before i kick it over to you guys is in the first issue there's a framing device of retelling the punisher's origins mm. where the bottom panel yeah. on every page is like a glimpse of Frank returning from war and his family in the park and all these different close-ups. Yep. It's really well done. That's a, that's a really smart visual trick yeah. for that first issue to sell through like what is always on Frank's mind. I thought that was nice. He, Otherwise, I don't have a lot for these comics. I have a nice, uh, I, I think, a, a comparison for this where like, I've been kind of fussing about X-Men lately. Mm-hmm. And X-Men, I feel like the execution has been lacking like in the X-World for me even though I think the ideas and the characters are compelling enough, right? Like, I'm interested in those. This is, like, the inverse where I'm like, this is a story I don't actually care about, told really well Mm. and written really well, and all parts of this work well enough, even though ultimately I'm like, yeah, this is a Punisher story. Like, and it's dumb. Like, it's very dumb, but I'm still, like, engaged in it because I think it's being told. Like, the storytelling and the actual, like, dialogue works really well. There's a little story here. Is this the first one or the second one where, like, he randomly rescues some woman who's escaping from a mob boss and she gives like what would be an entire like uh trade paperback worth of plot in like a um, ed brubaker (laughs) criminal yeah like yeah uh trade paperback worth of plot about like the uh her escaping from her mob boss husband and switching babies because she wants an heir etc etc it goes on and on uh it is a wild amount of information for... And Punisher is just like, all right, so what's your deal? Make it make it snappy. And she does. She efficiently, like, breaks down yeah. this enormous <laughs> bit of backstory. It's really funny in how, like, out of nowhere that comes. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't matter. But I think, yeah, I, I think, like, I like these. I had fun with these. And I think they're just, uh, they're really well done, even if I'm... Same as you, not a big Punisher guy. But the, these don't, like, rub me the wrong way like some... 
Punisher stuff does. Um, no, no, I didn't know that problem either. Yeah. Brad, what, what do you think? Are you a, a big Punisher yeah. fan? What do you make of these issues? Well, when I was reading these as a kid, I loved them. I'm not so much of a Punisher fan yeah. these days. Uh, I do think, like, Jim Lee in this uh, run of comics is fantastic. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this earlier, rougher Jim Lee is my favorite Jim mm. Lee. I prefer this to what we see in Wildcats. Uh, and I probably even prefer it to, like, what would, what would be peak Jim Lee? Like, Hush? Hush is peak I, Jim I Lee? I agree, yeah. That, that, his, his style, like... Probably the cleanest, that DC, that Batman story. Yeah. I, I was thinking X-Men number one, the 91 relaunch, like, peak in terms of eyeballs on his work, I suppose. But Batman oh, Hush, Hush is... Uh, that's, a good, that's a good pick. We're, yeah. I mean, he's very good, right? Like, he, he's a talented artist. Oh, no question, he, yeah. He starts, to veer, he starts to veer into being, like, the platonic ideal of house style to me. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like, he becomes very samey at a certain yeah. point. And, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd hate to use the word boring when referring to his art, but, like, I don't anticipate it because I know what it's going to look like. Yeah. So when mm. you pick up something like his Punisher Original comics, there's a, a, a spontaneity to him. There's an excitement. There's, a, like, a sense of improv almost with what you're going to yeah. get. And, uh, I, I really, really like the art in the first two issues. Yeah, story, like, who who really cares? But I also appreciate, like, how much this era of the Punisher comics fetishizes the gun and the various weapons that uh, Frank Castle is getting from yeah. Microchip. Mm -hmm. It's it's very icky to, to, to read as an adult, <laughs> uh, but I can see why, as a kid, I was, like, really into this stuff. Yeah, he, he gets some really, like... Pretty dumb uh, gadgets here, including like a a little tiny box that tells if you're lying based off the tone of your voice that he pulls out to be like, That's are you ever going to commit a crime again? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then like, and the guy's like, really oh, fun. no, yeah. never. And he's like, the box says you're lying. <laughs> I like microchip yeah. as a uh, cue. You know, where he's getting this Bondian tech almost, where yeah. it's like, yeah, this is like, you know, it, yeah, it's a lie detector test that you can carry around and pretend it's your cigarette case. And it's like, why does it need to pretend to be anything? I'm the Punisher. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's it, the early Jim Lee stuff I do think is very interesting. There are these moments, too, where you can see like, oh, that's what his Scott Summers is going to be. Um, in X-Men, like with some of the, the mob characters and like him, it is, it's like listening to demo tapes, like of a band that you know is going to be huge, yeah. you know, like, oh, their earliest stuff. This is interesting. So I find it pretty fascinating in that regard. Um, but yeah, otherwise I don't want to spend a ton of time on these. Cause if you're a Punisher guy or a Punisher lady or Punisher non-binary, um, you'll dig these, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Punisher non-binary, <laughs> if we did episodes, episode titles, I feel like that could, that could live, but we don't sadly. <laughs> Um, so, all right, oh, let's God. transition to Avengers 295 to 297. Here's my hypothesis. I love these guys. I love these next five comics. Zach, I'd be mm -hmm. shocked if you love them uh, it, or Here even like them. Here's but let's, let's the time-tested or the, the time-honored tradition of, uh, of a Walt Simonson comic with me. Event and, so Walt Simonson uh, is writing Avengers here. Let's let's be clear. Yep, and Zach yep. has been slandering, slandering the good family Simonson's name for, yeah, for so, months uh, now. Um, so, these are super fun. Gotta, I know, I know. It's, pull, just, pull it's up controversial. That, no, no, let me, let me. So you got to pull up that sting for the Simonson slander. Except this time, it's called Simonson Sugar, baby, because I love these. Simonson awesome. Sugar, <laughs> it's a turn. All right, yeah, I like this segment better already. Sugar all over these. Yeah, this this was a ton of fun. <laughs> and I I didn't anticipate it because like, this is clearly like in the midst of some really wacky, yeah, confusing continuity stuff. And I kind of was like, th that is, you know. Th 
reading that, sometimes I can be like, well, this is good, but I'm a little lost, or I'm just like, I, I can't work up the, uh, the the energy to like really try to crack everything that's going on. But I can be like, oh, this is this is well told. You can't get hyped for Doctor Druid? Impossible. And exactly, I was just like, okay, it's Doctor Druid, it's Kang, not things that I usually like. So much fun! Like I, I got so into this. This uh, I, I think it just strikes the the right tone, and I think honestly some of Walt Simonson's tightest and most like focused writing that we've read so far. Because mm. this is just like for being a really messy, confusing concept, right? I think he is like laser focused on the important stuff here, and it like it moves really nicely. And I think, it does, uh, yeah, yeah. Compared to you know like the Cask of Ancient Winters, where I'm like, oh, good core story and then a bunch of weird little like dangling bits that don't really matter that could be cut off to make this a better story right? that's like, true th- he's this not feels doing like that, that here. but with all the all the stuff the the chaff cut away so sure. yeah, yeah sure. and a tight avengers roster so like so we got dr yeah. druid we got she hulk we have thor and we have black still, knight still have no idea <laughs> And like that, Dr. Druid is. I, I know and dr druid's like the leader like the official avengers leader yeah. it's a really yeah, the, weird uh, Era of Avengers. I did. Go, I did go back one issue to kind of get like some context for what's going on. How'd that feel? And Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, like, sadly, gets depowered here. She gets like her energy sap from Monica Rambo. Yeah. Yeah, which sucks. Like, she's one of the coolest characters in the Avengers right now, and uh, you know, it. I feel like we're beginning to see the trope of female characters depowered. Like, I feel like that's really starting to leak in. We've seen this more than once compared to the male characters, and uh, and I just feel. Yeah, maybe I'm just looking for it more, but I, I do feel like that's leaking it. Sure. Um. So yeah. So she's off the team, and Doctor Druid is leading, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just the four of them. Um. Yeah. What do you think, Brad? What? Uh, did, I mean, it were you is thrown in one of the, the strangest rosters of <laughs> yeah. Avengers? I, I had never read these comics before. I was not reading, and I never went back to read this era of Avengers. Uh, I had only just learned of Dr. Druid because of that Disney Plus show, uh, 616, where uh, Jerry Dugan makes like a reference to Dr. Druid. And it's so weird that I I was like, oh, who's this Dr. Druid? Jerry Dugan seems really excited about it. And then here he is. And it's such a strange character. And I'd like to see how he operates outside of being mind controlled by Nebula, uh, because I hated him so much in this comic. (laughs) but. I liked him as an antagonist, and I love uh, She-Hulk in particular mm-hmm. amongst yeah, this yeah, group, and Black Knight I've always had a soft spot for. I think this is a really fun run of comics, and they are wild uh, in where they go. You know, it starts off with this uh, future where there's these dino droids, and yeah. there's was, the Mechasaurus Oh, I was Rex, so into like, that. I eat oh, all yeah. of that stuff oh, up. Yeah. That, that was where so I was good. like, all right, this is like going to be one of those fun Walt Simonson ideas that I'm ultimately bored by, right? Like, cool concept, sounds good <laughs> on paper, and then when you get to it, it's just like, well, there's nothing here except the idea. And I actually kind of think that about the dinosaur. I think the dinosaurs are just a fun idea that, you know, yes. then ultimately... Still, my light. reaction was running to my three-year-old yeah. and yes. saying, look, it's a Mechanosaurus Rex, yeah, and both no, of us no, screaming. I, I, still, I still had that, because I was like, 
like robot dinosaurs in Marvel. That's that's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's that Simonson channeling Kirby energy, which he can do so mm-hmm. so well. Where it's just these wild wild things. Um, the other stuff he's crossing this with. So like you mentioned, Brad, Nebula is involved. Yes, this is the Nebula that you may know from the Marvel Cinematic Universe listener. Um, but of course, this is she looks very different, and she's doing fairly different things. Although she does mention Thanos here, you know, so we know there is a little connection. Um, she is possessing mind controlling dr druid to basically lead to take over the avengers she uses various mind control things on all of them at one point or another um including thor of course and all of her plotting is to infiltrate basically the cross time kangs so we get the council of infinite kangs um kangs from all timelines which i always love like it's a really fun idea i think this is the best kang story we've read Honestly, because the focus keeps, isn't really on tight. Kang yeah. or any specific Kang. Yeah. It's more on the concept. And just like yeah. there being a bunch of these throughout time and they all think they're the real one and they never get along, but they have to work together because they're trying to get some MacGuffin at the center of this crazy cosmic scheme, you know? And it just leads to tons of action, tons of craziness. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, I don't want to, you know, spoilers here if you haven't read it because this is a big moment, the death of Dr. Druid. <laughs> Well, except not really, right? He's coming back soon. I just looked up his Wikipedia page. He'll be back. Everybody, don't worry. Okay, He'll be back. okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Kangs are so funny here because it, it doesn't... You don't need to get too wrapped up in it. It's So it actually seems like it's Nebula, but it's not actually even Nebula, right? Like, it's... It, it's yeah, it's like another time Ravona, Nebula. actually, like, who is a Dr. Kang love interest. I think they call her, like, Kang, Kang Nebula or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but, but it's yeah. not even Nebula, actually, right? Like, she's pretending i don't know didn't particularly matter here what does matter she manipulated all the kangs into like giving her like different weaponry from each of their timelines or something which leads to a great moment where the head king is like all right we need to know exactly like what she knows and what she has you know what her capabilities are everybody who was tricked by her step forward and then literally like panels (laughs) of like eight kangs all hanging out together like (laughs) so good like whistling to each other, like yeah. not looking each other, not wanting to make eye contact. Yeah, that's that's really fun. And that you know the whole time bubble. Th- you know what? Compared to, I think a good comparison is what we're going to talk about next: Fantastic Four, Secret Wars three. They kind of do similar like uh, crazy cosmic shenanigans. Big wild cosmic shenanigans, and I think that comes off as like clumsy and oh, it's so heavy. Burdened. It's so and, heavy. Yeah, handed. and it's just kind of like pages and pages and pages of exposition and this somehow just pulls that off and it moves right along and like the action keeps moving and it's still based in the characters and like good job walt really like good job walt wow can't believe you just complimented that um kang council the council of uh cross i can't even say it there's cross time kings cross time kings cross time kings that panel that you were describing there where they're all sort of like looking at each other and mm-hmm. whistling if i don't see that replicated in the mcu <laughs> uh that that'll be such a waste of the yeah, king concept i, I need and, this council give me the council or and don't you know give what we're king. gonna have to do is when when we get the inevitable screaming on social of people saying they made kang a joke we just send him that panel because it's already there baby it's already <laughs> there right. in the comics yeah, i mean king king's never been cool He's never been called. Oh, dare you indeed. I, I mean, I, I should give uh, credit here on that art. Later. Well, I just want to give credit yeah. here, too, on that, like, delivering that scene. You got John Buscema, Tom Palmer Inks, which I have not called out before, uh, as we talked about this. So, yeah, like, these are really fun, tight three issues. I, I'm not still not, like, super caught up personally on the Simonson era of Avengers. I don't know that we're going to read a ton more of it. I don't think it's super long-lived. 
Um, but it is interesting, I think, just given how monumental his Thor run is. And then we're going to read more of his Fantastic Four, which is the book we're going to next, this time written by Steve Englehart, who is, of course, a 70s Marvel Bronze Age favorite. And you know what? His, like you just said, Zach, the exposition he digs into and the absolutely, like, mind-boggling, confused timelines and and use of chronology here and and exploring how to solve marvel continuity problems it is so reminiscent of probably his most well-known story which is the uh celestial madonna saga that he did Mm -hmm. in avengers you know it's looking at the specifics so okay first off these two issues they are now known as secret wars 3 they are the unofficial (laughs) secret wars 3 (laughs) spinoff uh follow-up event and they are I think very fun. I do like them conceptually. But what Englehart takes on here is he takes on all the continuity of Doctor Doom, the Beyonder, and the uh, Doctor Doom fake, Kristoff, who is trying to take Doom's slot in Liberia. That has been going on at the time of this comics publication for about four years. So he's taking all that on. He's trying to figure out a way that he can be like, I don't even know why this needs to be answered, but somehow there's some like loophole in you know, Doom's role post-Secret Wars and what which Doom is the real Doom, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of the heart of this, I guess, is the all those, like, very specific Wikipedia entries. But what's fun about yeah. the book, what's actually fun, is Doctor Doom showing up to this kind of, uh, like the Avengers, kind of this broken-down unit. We've got Thing in his all-spikes form, which I'm not yeah, sure we've what, talked so, about yet. Wait, can, can we point out, uh, Spider-Man goes to visit this all spike thing yeah yeah earlier and i thought it was a todd mcfarlane like i was just like gee tom what are you doing <laughs> he's like, done such a weird what? thing yeah <laughs> right so i thought that was just a you know todd mcfarlane touch and not what was actually happening. no he has to, mutated uh, do you know what the deal is there like why is he <laughs> like that i, I re- okay so here's the funny thing i went back and read uh, i didn't read it. i just went on wikipedia to find out what's going yeah. on and it's funny because there's so this is the thing is all super spiky and then, like David's about to say, there's a she thing on the team who is Miss Marvel, right? The old Miss Marvel. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, she's Miss Marvel, <laughs> who, as you know, who's yeah. like who we barely have like interacted with in you know a decade. Um, and she's turned into a, a thing different, a different Miss Marvel. I want to be super clear. Smooth... This is Sharon yeah. Ventura. Yes. Okay. Not right, yeah, uh, Carol exactly. Danvers. Completely right. Completely different character. Um, that happened in separate incidents. There were two separate incidents that caused her to turn into a thing and the thing to get transformed into a, a wild, rocky thing. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of them had to do with... I can't remember. Sharon, one Sharon got exposed cosmic to cosmic rays, rays a la yeah, the right, Fantastic the Four, Sharon, and that turned yeah. her into the She-Thing, who does develop a romantic interest in The Thing. I think that most of this happened in The Thing solo series. Uh, when that was happening post-Secret Wars. And then the thing spiking mutation, like Zach said, um, I don't know the exact genesis of it. I definitely haven't read those issues. I looked issues. it up, but it, uh, it, mo- it I mean, was, clearly it's just like, thing. hey, we need the thing to be edgier. <laughs> we need we need the thing <laughs> to be <laughs> 80s like and connect yeah. with the kids. How do we do it? And the answer was spikes. And uh, I don't know that they were wrong. Um, I love the thing. I love his design, but I always get a chuckle when I see this this era of of yeah. Ben. I'm glad it didn't last. Like, I don't need it back, but it's it's a fun thing to have had exist uh and then the other piece of the finesse four is of course johnny's still around reed and sue are off they're adventuring with the silver surfer actually which we see uh teased because that's another sting of Engelhart written book but uh johnny's still here and he <laughs> johnny's johnny's in rare form because johnny storm right now is married to alicia masters boo okay that's happening but he's also now falling back in love with crystal 
his his original love of the Inhumans. And at one point, Johnny says, can a man love two women at the same time? And I'm like, Johnny, let me introduce you to Scott Summers. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I have examples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I didn't care about this. I actually, I liked, uh, I liked 318 before it got into uh, just pages and pages and pages of exposition. It is so, 319 is much, so impossibly dense. I mean, it is So insane. much information gets conveyed in 319. The Wikipedia page for this is 1,400 words long of just the synopsis. Yeah. 1,400 words. I mean, the comic is a Wikipedia Right, it's, page. it's, a, it's a 40-page it's issue, so and dense. it is. It's totally, it's a Wikipedia, because it's even doing the footnotes, which is helpful if you're trying to figure out what the heck happened here, but... Some, sometimes I like this, I, I don't know, what, what you usually get exhausted with these, and I can have fun with them but uh, th- this was just too dense and also i was just like i don't care about that i don't care what doctor doctor doom was somebody but he wasn't and then he was uh, in another body but now he wants pat whatever like well that that's the, only the problem really with it is about. i don't i don't care about the issue like i like all the pieces but the yeah. the thing they're trying to solve like the, the you know solve for x i don't care about x you know like it's it's completely i don't know yeah. it doesn't establish the stakes aren't established in these comics for sure Right, if they've been established, it's over the last several years reading Fantastic Four. Um, and again, like here, I the thing I'm interested in is like Doctor Doom meeting the Beyonder again in the negative zone and getting attacked by these giant cosmic entities. There's a lot going on, and then the Molecule Man there's, showing there's up. There's like three cosmic entities that I'm just like, well, I don't know who that guy is. No, to- I think that the opening of 318 is yes, so yes, funny. where Doctor Doom. Guns down Molecule Man I, in the street. I didn't street, know it was Molecule Man. And then just struts around New York <laughs> yeah. City. I didn't know it was Molecule Man. So to me, it was just like Doctor Doom popping out of an alley and being like, die, you yeah, must die same. for the honor of Doctor Doom. And then blasting some civilian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was disappointed when it turned out to be the Molecule yeah. Man. Because I, th- I thought he had just like <laughs> He'd just gone off his rocker. No, it, the Molecule Man giveaway was he says something like... Uh, Oh, I got to tell my my sugums about this one, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's Owen. He's talking yeah. about uh, he's talking <laughs> oh, about so his gal." To, to tie it into your podcast, uh, to Brad, we have you yeah. talked about Mol- you haven't talked about Molecule Man and Volcana yet. No, we that have would be not a good one into it. But after reading this issue, I made a they note: might we have to talk about this. <laughs> they're they're yeah. in like top three relationships in Marvel for me. I, I genuinely like love them. them so much. Yeah. Well, it's just like he has literally infinite powers, right? He's like the most powerful. Yeah earth being in marvel and he's just like yeah i just want to hang out with my very tall muscular wife and watch tv and get takeout and like and and he's just so chill it it is such a fun smart decision because he used to be you know like this you know like overpowered psychopath in the in the 60s with um the fantastic four and he'd fight them and then the watcher would have to come be the deus ex machina that stopped him because they obviously couldn't fight him or whatever but like yeah having him just be you know like a wife guy is uh, he's so good and there's they're very sweet and uh, i was genuinely sad when he had to like sacrifice himself to create a cosmic cube which is one of eight because they were created as i don't know who knows the the cosmic density of this is is massive and almost impossible to unravel and i I, one of the wildest things too is like angleheart is not so central to the Marvel mythos here. He's not Jim Starlin. You know what I mean? Where like these things yeah, would be carried right. forward and made a big deal of. So when you go back and read them, it's sort of just like, what what are these? <laughs> what are all these things? Mm-hmm. You know, like they do they matter? Will they go on to matter? Uh, varying answers, uh, depending on your perspective. But yes, Owen Reese and uh, what is it? Marsha? Martha? Um, that That's Marcia, a great yeah. relationship. Yeah. So it, 
I like you said, I like the intro. I also like Doctor Doom showing up the, to the Fantastic Four and being like, "Listen, you need me right now. You're down. Yeah, this is Reed and yeah, Sue, and you need me, and I'm smarter than Reed." And Ben gives the biggest belly laugh when Doctor Doom is like, "I'm the smartest person ever. I'm smarter than Reed." That part's great, and and, and clearly he's manipulating them because this is Doom, and that's what he does. But he's also like. I, I like Doom joining with the FF stories. I, I think that yep. trope yep. always works for me. Uh, and it's Agreed. good here. Yeah. Always. Always. I also think, like, the art is solid. Like, Keith yeah. Pollard, I think, is, uh, like, a fun a fun penciler. Um, you know, he feels reminiscent of better artists, but he gets the job mm-hmm. done. It's very clean. And when he does those cosmic pages, they look good, this, especially yeah. the splash yeah. pages. Yeah, and uh, Joe um, Sinnott I, finishes, I should mention as well, throughout the Bold Deep Comics, yeah. uh, RIP to Joe. I gotta but, point yeah, out, hit me. I gotta point out some of the biggest shade we have ever seen thrown in Marvel Comics, which is at one point, um, I can't, Doctor Doom goes to someone's apartment here. I think Alicia Masters' apartment, yeah. maybe. And yeah. uh, and he goes to press. Did either of you see this? He goes to press the button, the buzzer for her apartment, and there's a little list of names here, and one of them says. Jay Shooter, and then on it is the sticker that just says "Evicted." <laughs> and I was I just like, "Oh, oh sh-. <laughs> Jim Shooter!" Like, got it. So funny. He just got canned from Marvel, and uh, and they're just cracking jokes. I mean, I wonder if Steve Englehart just, uh, you know, did not did not like the guy. And, could be uh, could be any number of individuals, as we hear uh, from uh, from so good old funny. Jimbo's time there. <laughs> but yeah, that's gonna do it uh, for these comics. It was a, a weird and wild batch, but mostly pretty fun. Um, yeah, definitely, I, had a, I had a good time with these. Yeah, definitely the Venom stuff is you know the most memorable <laughs> in terms of legacy. Um, but there's some interesting kind of hidden gems in there. Brad, uh, any final takeaways or just things you want to plug on your end? I mean, like just like wrapping up the conversation on these uh, four very distinct runs. You know, I loved revisiting the Spider-Man stuff. Very nostalgic. Uh, you know, Mary Jane getting to draw and save the day mm-hmm. is the highlight of those four mm-hmm. issues for me. Um, the, I, I, I really love like seeing Jim Lee's stuff in Punisher War Journal. I, I'm probably going to continue. I've got the trade paperback now. I'm probably going to read the whole run or at least look at the whole run. <laughs> I might not read every yeah. word of Carl Potts, but I'll look at look at all the yeah. art. My, but my favorite stuff that I read uh, at, at part of this batch was the Avengers stuff nice. because it was just so wild. And that team is like just you an unheard of team, like not really explored these days. The dynamics is, is very unique. She Hulk and, uh, Dr. Druid, what, what Druid does to she Hulk and how that traumatizes her is very interesting. Um, I wouldn't mind going back and, and, uh, exploring that era of Avengers. I would mention too, that black Knight's body is turning into a sword. Which we forgot to mention. One of the first times, like I thought he was cool. Yeah, he's just accidentally slicing through spaceships, and he's just like, like he gets knocked out, and and he has to go to the hospital, and his body's so sharp that he cuts through his bed and every floor of the hospital, and he goes down into the basement. (laughs) Apparently, it's good stuff. So, just point out, there's a very real possibility that this would be, barring Doctor Drude, I guess. Uh, you know, a team we see for the MCU Avengers. Yeah, like Black Knight is coming up with the Eternals, and yeah. uh, we got she- a She-Hulk yeah. show coming up. Like, I I am very excited about the uh, the idea of a post you know original lineup of the Avengers, Avengers getting super weird. 
Yeah, just the Avengers being like, Super you know, weird. Thor is going to be the only holdover, maybe, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the old, the old yeah. team. I mean, Dr. Druid should show up in a Doctor Strange movie. Yeah, who knows? Like, yeah. you know, he's the low-rent version. Yep, yep. A cameo, yeah, so at the very, an Easter egg, at the very least. All right, so this has been <laughs> yeah. a pleasure. Uh, Brad, people can find you at Comic Book Couples Counseling. We will include a link here to the show in the show notes. Recommend people c- uh, check it out. Like I said, it's a really fun concept. And uh, Yeah, we're talking Usagi Ojimbo right now, having a lot of fun with Stan yeah, Sakai. Yeah, I love that comic. It yeah. is a near-perfect comic. So, yeah, t- people check those out. And, uh, yeah, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at He's Zach. You can find him online at, at MyMarvelThisYear. Otherwise, uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Uh, music for the show is by Disaster Piece. What else do we want to plug? Anything else? Is that the that the usual stuff? I think we Check got out it. My Ultimate Year. We're, uh, we're like a year into it now. It's going well. It's a fun show. You can read some more modern comics. It's a totally separate continuity. And uh, yeah, I, I always like it's fun. I think it's fun when we get My Marvelous Year listeners who started with My Ultimate Year. And then that is cool, yeah. jumped back to My Marvelous Year. I got another one of those today. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So check that out. Cool. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. And as always, we will see you next year. See you next year.